0: All right, let's uh, take our Bibles, we're continuing in our study in uh, the subject of the seven sayings of Christ from the cross, and we are approaching the end, so let's look at John chapter 19, so we have covered, uh, Father, forgive them, we have covered, uh, the, uh, we've covered all the sayings down th- The last one we did was uh, saying number 5 Which is, I thirst And we spent a couple of weeks talking about that And today we're going to get to uh, The saying, it is finished It is finished So we're going to read in John chapter 19 and, uh, and let's start reading in verse number 28 Let's pray before we read and then we'll get into our lesson. Our Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that as we study your word, that the importance of your word, your written word especially, would, uh, would be clearly seen and felt and appreciated by each one of us here uh, Lord, as we, as we hear the Word of God, as we listen to it, as we recall the things that it says, I pray that you would speak to us and teach us, Lord. You know the things that we need, the things that we need to learn. And uh, we pray that, I pray that you would help each and every person here. Um, and help me, Lord, as I teach them. Help me to uh, stick faithfully to what you've said in, in the Scripture. Lord, I pray that you would build our faith. And not only our faith as in uh, our understanding and uh, acknowledging of the truth, but I pray that you would also build our faith uh, to act upon what you've said and to live out what you've said. So, Lord, stir us, we pray, not only in our Sunday school lesson, but also in the service to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so John chapter 19, let's look at verse number 28, 28, John 19, verse 28. The Bible says this, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, "It is finished." And he bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. All right, now this uh, this saying, "It is finished," is the as I said, is the sixth of seven sayings, and this event happens. It's only recorded in the book of John, and uh, this event happens. This is moments. This is just mere moments, maybe less than a minute before the Lord expires or the Lord uh, dies on the cross. So uh, I believe, I, I can't prove this, but I think it's reasonable to assume that when the Lord says this, remember, when a person is being crucified, their body is being outstretched, right? That's, that's how uh, when they're hanging by the nails, uh, their body is being stretched, and so in order to speak, they must pull themselves up to exhale. So, they're, because they're being outstretched, uh, their body's being outstretched, the victim of crucifixion, um, they cannot, uh, they cannot, they can inhale. When they, when they relax their muscles, they sink down, their diaphragm expands, which causes their lungs to fill with air. And so they have breath, but they can't speak because you can't speak. Have you ever tried to speak with inhaling it, it just doesn't work you ought to try it one day but not but not now because then you'll look like a goofball in front of everybody you have to exhale to speak and so the the victim of crucifixion must pull themselves up in order to speak so basically uh this I think this uh this statement is probably uh, being spoken by the Lord within probably within a minute of his of his uh of his death, because every single time that he has to speak, he has to lift himself up, and uh, you think about that in context. You know, he's he's hung. The, the history says that crucifixion it it, it was you know was commonly believed, basically from from Catholic sources, that Jesus was impaled through his through his hands, as we call them hands, but the history teaches that that people that were crucified were actually, the nails were driven through their wrists, what we would call a wrist. Actually, it was, it, this is just, I'm on, a, I'm on a rabbit trail now, but the Cambodian word for, for hand is the same word for arm. So you say dai, and it refers to everything the shoulder down. So if, so if you said dai in Cambodian, it doesn't have to mean this part. It can also mean all of this. And that's true in other languages as well. So sometimes that gets us confused as to what it says it's hands, but then all these, all these scholars, they come around and want to change the Bible. says hands. Well, hold on now. <laughs> hold on. Um, history does record that people that were crucified were crucified through their wrists. But the point being is, when you think about the fact that the Lord spoke seven times from the cross, you have to remember that every single time he spoke, it was intentional. Why? Why? Because there was, there was, effort, excruciating. Even that word, I'm sure Miss Miss Aguilar knows, because she's, she's a lady of letters, as we might call as we might call her. Excruciating comes from the word crucify, and so every time the Lord pulled himself up to exhale, he felt excruciating pain. So that means that every time he did everything, everything that he said was On purpose, on purpose. Um, So, and it's funny, the only thing he said, as we covered last week, to complain was, I thirst. He didn't say anything about the pain, only thirst, uh, which is notable. So, the Lord pulls himself up to cry, it is finished. And then, of course, the final saying was, uh, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then he bowed his head intentionally and died. So, as I said, this is moments before, even a minute probably before he, um, he, he died. Now, the word that is found in verse number 30, uh, it is finished, is, is an interesting word. I don't want to get into the, get into the weeds too much, but we, we know... Uh, Just as a matter of course, we know that our Bible is translated from Greek in the New Testament, so there is significance in that, but the point being is that um, this is one word. This is kind of like saying, what what we read is, it is finished, is one word, it's like saying, done. It's like saying, done, it's one shout, one word. We don't have anything exactly equivalent because they're two different languages, but what is what is it is finished is is significant and i hope we cover that what we're going to cover is three things we're going to cover number 1 which is what we're going to talk about today is the prophecies because the automatic question when you read it is finished is what is finished what is finished because the text does not directly tell us what he's referring to and so you know everybody inserts their own ideas if you read the commentaries they all say different things and and uh, but the fact that it is ambiguous and it's not directly stated what he's saying is finished, that allows us to look at other passages of Scripture and see what he's talking about. So what we're going to talk about today is the prophecies. And then what we'll talk about in the following weeks are, uh, are other matters about the atonement, about redemption, and then also about, his, about uh, the, the Lord's will. And so those are the three things we're going to cover But what is notable as we we go into the prophecies, and for sure, one of the things the Lord is referring to when He says it is finished, is He is referring to, for sure, there's no doubt about this, and I can show you in the context, the Lord is referring to the fact of the prophecies of His life, His birth, His life, His coming, His incarnation, His sufferings, and his death are complete. That, and that, that's a significant thing. That's a significant thing. You're going to see it in just a minute. So that's what we're going to cover today. The Lord's, the, when the Lord says it is finished, one thing he is definitely referring to is the fact that the prophecies concerning his life and death were complete, they were fulfilled in total without anything being left undone. And not only that, they were fulfilled so that because they were finished, they could never be undone. They were permanent. Uh, The things that had been foretold about him were were completed, fulfilled, accomplished. And in verse number 28, if you read it there, I'll just note this. Verse 28 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that word accomplished, is the same word that's translated finished. So all these things were accomplished. It says that the scripture might be fulfilled. Notice he brings up, we talked about this the past couple of weeks. Uh, he says, the Lord's eye and his mind was upon the, the written word of God. That's, that's the key. Is it throughout, the, throughout the time that he's on the cross, but not only throughout the time he's on the cross, but all through his life, His mind and his eye was upon the written word of God. And when you read the word, sometimes we use the word word of God. And sometimes we use the word scripture. And there are different words we use to describe the word of God. But you have to remember, when you say the word of God, that, biblically speaking, can refer to the spoken word of God when God says, let there be light, or God spoke through a prophet, etc., but it can also refer to the written word of God. But when you see the word scripture, it only refers to one thing. And that's what we're talking about today. The word scripture only refers to the written word of God. It's the word of God that God desired and, and led holy men of God who spoke, who spake by the Holy Ghost. In other words, that's what they say. And then they put it down on, on paper and for, to, to, for us to have permanently. Listen, as we're going to see today, the fact that we have the scripture, that is the written word of God, is huge. Yoj. 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 Yeah, Y U G E. Yoj. Uh, I could go into a lot of things about this, but suffice it to say that. When God led men to write his word down, it permanently, it permanently gave us, gave his people, gave mankind a record of what he said that, that cannot be changed. Well, you, you know, you can, it can be changed, but God preserving it, it's a permanent record of what he said that cannot be altered, memories cannot mar it or or. Faulty memories cannot forget it. It is permanent for us, and not only that. Because it's written, it can be translated into many, many languages, which is what's happening. And I'm thankful that when I was a missionary, that the Bible had been translated into Khmer, and I'm sure Pastor Stuart was thankful it was translated to Bulgarian. It's really hard to witness to people when they can't read or understand whatever you're talking about, and they can't see it for themselves. So I'm thankful for that, but... So the Scripture is what we're talking about today, the written Word of God. You know, it's funny that at this point, at this point in the Lord's, the seven sayings of Christ from the cross, that the Scripture comes up. Because really, there's not a Bible anywhere around this scene. There's not, a, there's not a, like a scroll you know, or anything like that. But yet, because it's on the Lord's mind It's written down in the scripture for us. So he's thinking, look at what verse 28 says. We talked about this last time with I thirst, and we talked about why he said that. He was thirsty, but saying I thirst and being thirsty are not the same thing, are they? Is anyone thirsty right now? Raise your hand if you're thirsty. Okay, Zach is thirsty, Ari's thirsty. Why didn't you say it? You see... If they had not raised their hand, there's no way we would have known, even though they were thirsty. The scripture does not say Jesus was thirsty. The scripture said, he saith, I thirst. Now, we know that's a fulfillment of the written word of God. I'm just making a point here. The, the Lord said that as we studied the last couple times when we were in class. The Lord said that to fulfill the scripture because his mind was on what the written word of God foretold of him. That certain things had to be accomplished. Now, That goes to our point, my point about it is finished, okay? Now, when you think of something being finished, when you think of something being complete, you think of a a task or a job or a work or a mission, okay? You can only say something is finished or complete or accomplished, however you want to put it. You can only say that if, if, At the outset, you know what that work—you know the things that that work entails. Because, for instance, for instance, Joseph, if your your job—if you have a a to-do list for today, say your boss gives you a to-do list, I want this and this and this and this and this and this. this. I need thirty. I need you to hire thirty people today. And Joseph's like, I wish. Um, But if, but if, uh, if you're given a to-do list that to-do list that you get at the beginning of the day is going to be the determining factor and the determining criteria by which you judge whether you accomplished your job for that day, right? In other words, at the beginning of the day you have a list of things to do and it, and it, without that list you have no way of knowing if it's finished. You understand? Without that list, you have no way of knowing. You can twiddle your thumbs all day long and get the end of the day. There was no guidance. There was no task. There was no way to judge your progress. And so when you get to the end of the day, you're like, well, did you finish your, your work? Well, I worked. Did you finish it? I don't know what I was supposed to do. So that's kind of built into the, the, the phrase, it is finished. So here's the thing. When the Lord says, it is finished, built into that word, within that is a, a great deal of smaller tasks, if you could put it like that, smaller missions in his great mission. Within that are a bunch of things that we know of at the outset. That's the key. All these missions, and for our, for our lesson today, all of these prophecies about the Lord, they were given way before He ever was born. That's, that's key. They were given far, far... Uh, remember, the last prophecy... Here's a little bit of the trivia. The last prophecy about the Lord's coming, life... Death, sufferings, and death—the last prophecy that was that was that foretold of Jesus Christ before He came—was written approximately how many years before His arrival? Four hundred years. Why you say four hundred? Well, you just pick a number. That's a good guess. Why? Well, so, what does that mean? Was was Malachi four hundred years old or something? It's called the silent years. So we know that Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 is a prophecy about Jesus. About, it's about John the Baptist, right? That was written no, le- or no less than 400 years before Jesus. Okay, so that means between the time, the, not the first prophecy, but the final prophecy about Christ was prophesied and written in Scripture to the time that the Lord was born you can fit the entire history of the United States inside of that window. Kind of give you, a, give you an idea of how much time we thought. Oh, man, George Washington, he was like 1700s. Well, that was that and another 50% is the amount of time that passed. That's, that's significant. Here's, here's what I'm saying. All the prophecies that were written about the Lord, it started way, way back, and we're going to see that in a minute. But those prophecies told in advance everything that would happen with the Lord Jesus Christ in advance, so that when he got to the end of his life, every single thing about him was checked off. That was done, that was foretold and done. That was foretold and done. It's like you at work. That was foretold and done. That was foretold and done. And so at at the end of his life, he could say, it is finished. That's how he could say that. If you would look at the book of Luke, chapter 18, Luke 18, verse 31. Now carefully read this as I read, uh, read it aloud here. Luke chapter thirty-one, verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 31. The Bible says, Then he, that's, that's Jesus, took unto him the twelve, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. There's that word again. Same word translated, it is finished. All Shall all be accomplished. So what is he talking about? The Lord's talking about what he knew in advance must be accomplished, must be fulfilled, must be finished before his life ends. He's talking about the written scripture. Verse 32, the word for, it says, notice, all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. So the question is, what things specifically? And then the next verse tells us, because it says, for. When you see the word for, you should ask, why is there for, right? Why is it there? for this is this is what what it was written about him that he's that he is referring to for he shall be delivered unto the gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on and they shall scourge him and put him to death and the third day he shall rise again that's that's our text that's John 19 verse 30 his sufferings and death those things were foretold now here's what you need to understand about the prophecies of Christ and again we'll look at that in just a minute the prophecies concerning Christ's incarnation, his birth, his life, his uh, sufferings and death—all of those things were foretold in the Old Testament and were fulfilled. Keyword: literally. That's important. They were fulfilled. The prophecies were. were uh, were given not in a general kind of Nostradamus kind of way. They were given detailed prophecies of specific localities, small localities. Think Bethlehem being a small place. Uh, They were detailed. They described things in in great detail. uh, And furthermore, the prophecies were far removed from the event itself and the fulfillment of it which means man could have had no part. There's no man or group of men that could have, could have had any part to bring it to pass. The only person that had a part in it was Jesus Christ himself because he knew of the prophecies. He knew his mission. Part of his mission was to fulfill those things. So the prophecies were detailed. The prophecies were, uh, were Far removed from the fulfillment. The prophecies were um, fulfilled literally. They were not fulfilled spiritually or figuratively. And that's important. And here's why that's important. Because there are a great number of prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ, many of which are directly connected in the Old Testament to His sufferings and death. Prophecies of His return. Prophecies of His kingdom. Prophecies of his glory that occur in, sometimes in the same verse in the Old Testament. And the first part was fulfilled literally. What about the second part? Just as the first was fulfilled literally, so the second part will be fulfilled literally. You know what that does? That drives a stake right through the heart of what we might call amillennialism an allegorical interpretation in which the text of Scripture is not taken at face value. And interpreted according to what's the, the context in which it's found, but is interpreted in a spiritual or or uh, uh, allegorical or figurative way. If those things about Christ that were written about him were fulfilled literally, so the things that are to, yet to be fulfilled will be also fulfilled literally. That means Jesus Christ will come and have a literal kingdom. He will come in person, visibly, and he will have a kingdom for one thousand years. All of these things, he will have glory, and there will be a nation of Israel, and there will be other nations, all the things we read in the Old Testament that are connected to his second coming will also be fulfilled in like manner. And so the Lord, you can see in chapter 18, that the Lord's mind is on, even this is before he dies, this is before they even go to Jerusalem, we might call holy week. I say that with a slight mocking tone. This is before the Lord goes to Jerusalem for the final time in his triumphal entry. And this is, he's about to go to Jerusalem, but what is his mind on? Look at it. His mind is on the scripture, the written word of God, and its fulfillment. Did Jesus Christ have a high estimation of the Old Testament? That's what he was thinking about all the time. That was a main pillar of his mission. Things that had to be done. That was his to-do list, if if you will. His mind was on the scripture. Do we need to be... You know, the Muslims in Islam, does anybody know the official term used to describe Christians and Jews by Islam. Anybody know what they call us? Say again? No. They don't call us infidels. A lot of people think that, but that's actually not not correct. It's something to do with following the book. People of the book. You know, we should be that. Our Lord was that. Right? Jesus believed The Bible, right? And the Bible he had was what? The Old Testament. Now look at Luke. So before he goes to Jerusalem, his mind is on the word of God. Look at chapter 24, if you would. Verse number 25. Chapter 24 of Luke, verse 25. Now, this occurs, Luke 24, of course, we know, occurs after his resurrection. But notice what he says. There's a connection between Luke 18 and Luke 24. Luke uh, Luke 24, verse 25 says this, Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all, notice what it says, that the prophets have spoken. There he goes, bringing up the word of God, verse 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the Lord knew in the scriptures, which is the what? No. Because the New Testament is part of scripture too. The written word of God. Jesus knew all that the, the Old Testament scriptures, the written word of God, said about him. And you know what he did? He explained it to them on the, way, on the road to Emmaus. I'm glad he did that. Look, drop down to verse number 44. This is a different occasion. And he said unto them, when he appeared unto them, he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written, there's the Scripture, the written Word of God, in the Law of Moses and in the Prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Again, the Lord's mind is on the Scripture and fulfillment of it. Okay? He mentions three divisions. These are what these are, these are the Jewish divisions of the Old Testament, okay? As the Jews divided. It. It's a little bit different than the way we divide it, but the Jewish divisions were the Law of Moses, that's called the Torah or teaching, and the second is the Prophets. I wrote it down cuz I don't have this memorized. It's called the Neviim, the Prophets, and then the third division is the Psalms, which is Ketuvim, which includes the Psalms and various other poetic writing. In the three divisions, Hebrew divisions of of the Old Testament, the Lord says, I'm in there, it wrote about me, it foretold about me, I've been telling you it's there. You should have been looking at the Old Testament. Now, notice what he says in the next verse. Uh, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written. And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So, once again, the Lord's mind is on the scriptures. Now, if the, again, if the Lord exalted the scriptures believed the scriptures, knew the scriptures. The Lord was, as a man, he was a man of the Bible. We should be the same. It was, in fact, the scriptures for the Lord, in the most obvious way, was the directions for his life, because he knew he had a host of prophecies that he needed to fulfill. And he did. That's why he said, it is finished, right? Look at Acts chapter 3. This is Peter and John. Peter's preaching after they're arrested, or he's actually he's not They haven't been arrested yet. They're on the in the temple. Verse number eighteen. Bible says this. In verse sixteen, verse fifteen, he says he you killed the prince of life. Again, he's talking to the Jews, in the temple. And verse seventeen. And now, brethren, I wot that ye did ye through ignorance. That through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. Notice, notice verse eighteen. But these things, but those things—that's talking about the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, and his suffering and death. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Written in advance. Peter. His mind and I. In fact, in in the book of Acts, you see this over and over, but what you have is whenever the church is witnessing, especially to the Jewish community, they're always referring to the scriptures that foretold of Christ. They were using the scriptures. Why? Because the scriptures that foretold of Christ and predicted in detail His coming, His suffering, His death, His life, and all of those things were a verification and a confirmation of the veracity of the gospel record and of the gospel itself. It did not, as we said before at the beginning of our study, what Jesus came to do, the cross and all the sufferings and all of those things, did not happen accidentally. They happened in fulfillment of what God has said would happen. Happen again, the scripture. So not only should we be people of the scripture, it should be our it should be the, the 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 guiding lights for our lives. It should be our marching orders. It should be the the direction for the way that we live. But I want to point out one more thing: is when we talk about the scripture up to this point, there hasn't been a New Testament written at all at this point. This is the Old Testament. We know that we are New Testament Christians. We know this. We know that the Old Testament, the law, and those things were written primarily to the Jews. We know this. But we should not neglect the Old Testament. They constantly referred back to it. They constantly showed that they believed it. So we are not, listen, we are not New Testament Christians to the exclusion of the Old Testament. We understand that the New Testament content was written for us directly and primarily. But that doesn't mean we ignore the Old. That doesn't mean that that the Old Testament has no application or has no value to us or that it's somehow lesser. It's not lesser. In fact, the entire gospel is built upon the foundation of the Old Testament scripture. Without the Old Testament, it doesn't have have its bite. The reason why the gospel is, uh, the reason why it has this, this kind of um, significance is because it is the, the fulfillment of so many things over, over millennia that have been fulfilled. When the events happened, it, what, not only did it prove who Jesus was and verified everything that he was doing, but what it also did in reverse is verify and confirm the, profit, the, the value and the profitability of the Old Testament as well. Right? Right? The history of the gospel goes back to the very foundation of humankind, the very foundation of human origins, and to the origins of sin in the world. It goes back to the very dawn of mankind. Where? In the Old Testament scripture. So, listen, we should know the Old Testament. That's the point. Jesus Christ knew the Old Testament. The Old Testament is, our, is, the, is the confirming and the proof, the evidence of who Jesus Christ was and the reason why we believe him, one of the reasons. We should be people that are... Done. And what, what do I mean by this in practice? You should not just cherry pick parts of the Bible to read. You should read and study the whole thing. You should study the whole thing. The Old Testament can profit you just like the New Testament. In fact, Romans says that the scriptures were written aforetime that we through patience and comforts of the scripture might have hope. We read that and it teaches, God teaches us through his word in the Old Testament. There, there are, listen, the reason I bring this up is there are people that are exclusively New Testament and they just ignore the old. And that's not correct. It's just simply not correct. Now, as, the old te- as concerning the Old Testament and the prophecies of Christ, there is an enormous, there is an enormous body of prophecies in the old testament that foretell various things about the lord's incarnation life suffering and death and his resurrection and his lord so what i did is i went through and i made a list because i feel like i feel like i want to go through this list to really get when you see it you know the you say we say in just one in one mouthful, we say, well, the Old Testament speaks of Jesus Christ and predicts things about his life. But when you say it like that, it makes it sound kind of insignificant, like it's not actually that much. But when you start making a list, I have a list of, just my list is 51 items. And these are just the, the low-hanging fruit. This is not, this doesn't count, my list does not count types or pictures of Christ, like in the sacrifices or in the tabernacle or temple. None of that. It's just direct quotations, direct prophecies about specific things. And my list has 51. Listen to the specificity of what the Old Testament says about Jesus Christ as I go through this list. It is not that, you know, God said that Jesus would come. No, 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 no. He gave extremely detailed information. Now listen to these things in our final few minutes. Genesis 3.15 says Jesus would be the seed of the woman who would bruise the serpent's head. Again, 3.15 says he would, bruise, he would, he would be bruised by Satan. Isaiah 7.14 says Jesus would be born of a virgin. Genesis 22.18 says that Jesus would be the seed of Abraham, would be in the line of Abraham. 2 Samuel 7, 12 says that he would be in the lineage, the, the lineage of David. Psalm 2, verse 7 says that he would be the son of God. Micah 5, verse 2 says that he would be born in the, in the, the town of Bethlehem. Jeremiah 31, verse 15 says his, there would be sorrow surrounding his birth. That's the death of the, the, the kids in Bethlehem. Genesis 49, 10 says he would be a ruler from Judah, the tribe of Judah. Hosea 11.1 1 says he would, fly, he would flee into Egypt early in his life. Malachi 3, verse 1 says that Jesus would have a forerunner who would be a very unusual character. And that forerunner would be found in the wilderness. Isaiah 9 verses 1 through 2 says he would come out of the area of Galilee. Psalm 78, verse 2 says he would speak in parables. Isaiah 61, verse 1 says he would preach the gospel to the meek. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says that he would heal the sick. Psalm 69 verse 9 says Jesus would be zealous for the Lord's house when he cast out the money changers. Psalm 69 verse 8 says he would be estranged from his own brothers. Isaiah 53 verse 1 says he would not be believed. Zechariah 9 9 says he would enter Jerusalem as a king. The same verse says that he would ride upon a donkey in that entrance. Zechariah nine nine also says that he would be lowly. Isaiah fifty three three says he would be despised. Isaiah eight fourteen says he would be rejected by the Jews. Psalm one eighteen twenty two says he would be rejected by the Jewish leaders. Psalm sixty nine verse four says he would be hated without a cause. Uh, Psalm 40, 41, verse nine says he would be betrayed by a friend. Matthew twenty seven verse nine says that he would be. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 27, verse 10, says that that blood money would be used to buy a a potter's field. Again, a prophecy. Zechariah 13, verse 7, says his disciples would be scattered from him, which happened after his arrest. Isaiah 53, verse 7, getting into his death specifically, said he would be led as to a slaughter. Isaiah 53, verse 7 says he would be silent. Isaiah 53, verse 8 says that he would be unjustly condemned. 53, verse 9 says he would be without sin. 53, verse 5 says he would receive wounds and stripes. 53, verse 12, he would intercede for sinners. We studied that. Isaiah 22, 7 through 8 says he would be scorned by passersby. 22, verse 18 says uh, people would cast lots for his clothing. Psalm 22, verse 1 says he would be forsaken by God. Psalm 22, verse 2 says his prayer would not be heard. So Psalm 69, verse 21 says he would thirst. Psalm 69, verse 21 said he would be given gall to drink. Isaiah 53, verse 8 says he would die an untimely death. Isaiah 53, 6 and verse 11 says he would die as a substitute for others. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says he would be smitten by God. Psalm 22, verse 16 says he would be surrounded by Gentiles at his death. Psalm 22, verse 16 says he would be pierced in his hands and feet. Isaiah 53, verse 9 says he would die with the wicked. Isaiah 53, verse 12 says he would be counted as a transgressor. Psalm 34, verse 20 says not a bone of his would be broken. Zechariah 12, 10 says he would be pierced. And Isaiah 53, verse 9 says he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Jesus did not just fulfill the Old Testament. The Old Testament detailed so many things about his life. Let's pray.